0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, specifically today, we're going to talk about a really controversial topic, uh, but an important topic. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire? That is something that is mentioned in the Bible. We know about baptism from John the Baptist, or at least we think we know about John the Baptist's baptism. Most people do not know about Herod's baptism or the fact that baptism this washing up had been a ritual way back in the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. They were washing up. They were cleaning up. They were This was a Jewish ritual. And this idea of washing up, you know, people, there was a big debate for a while where, you know, do you get baptized more than once? Uh, is there christening for a child? Do you get baptized as a child? and I mean, people actually died over these arguments. Because they disagreed with uh, the idea of uh, somebody else about baptism. Well, it really doesn't matter whether I agree with you or you agree with me. It's whether or not we agree with Christ and what he was really all about. What he was really doing. What he was really telling us to do and not to do. And Jesus himself never baptized anybody. They make a point of even mentioning that in the Bible. But it's apostles baptized people. And then there was a controversy with Paul that, you know, did you get the baptism of Paul or did you get the baptism of somebody else? And are these two different baptisms different? And what difference does it make? I mean, isn't it just, can't anybody baptize anybody? I mean, and then how important is water baptism? Because John, who was, you know, the famous John the Baptist, puts down his baptism. In relationship to Jesus Christ, saying, "I only baptize you with water like that's not a big deal i'm just I'm just putting water on you I'm just baptizing you with I'm just washing you with water and of course, then there's the big whole story about baptismo and baptisma you know that a you know a pickle is soaked in the vinegar and brine and becomes it goes from being a cucumber to becoming a pickle it changes internally because it's soaked so much and so and then you got the other form of where you're just washing the outside and of course these these are all kind of metaphors and allegories trying to ex- explain something that is uh, is not necessarily explainable in physical terms so we use these allegories and metaphors to kind of give you an idea why is it so difficult to explain, and and somebody had asked this question. You know, what, what is this? Uh, you know, he he made a reference to a particular quote in the Bible uh, that uh, that that we see in Matthew twenty twenty two. Uh, but Jesus answered and said, "Ye you know not what ye ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of?" And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Now, he's actually using a syntax there that he's already baptized with. He's already got this other baptism. And they say unto him, we are able. And, of course, I sent out a newsletter on on the the group, uh, all the groups, uh, talking, you know, announcing this particular radio program, because it's kind of important. But most of you will probably go away not really fully understanding what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and the baptism of fire is. Why? Because you haven't experienced it yet. You'll know more about it in your mind, maybe, if you're listening (laughs) and paying attention and your, your head is not all full of stuff already that doesn't leave any room for anything that might be new to you. And somebody was making comments uh, on the network uh, about the, the, the reference to the cup and you need a bigger cup or whatever. And, of course, there's an ancient uh, allegory or, or uh, saying uh, in the East uh, about your teacup where the, the, the Buddhist monk is pouring tea into the new uh, disciple's uh cup and his cup is full already and the tea starts to flow over the edge and the guy points this out to, and he says that's why I can't give you any more tea because your cup is already full. You have to empty your cup out so that I can give you more tea. And the fact is is a lot of us our cup is already full. We're already full of our own theories and and conclusions and and we have to have a humble heart being willing to set down some of the ideas that make us think that we got it already, so that we can get more. So we can get a deeper look at this particular subject of the Holy Spirit and uh, and this baptism of fire. What is this baptism of fire? Sounds kind of dangerous. Do you need a permit for a baptism of fire? <laughs> Oh, yeah, the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that comes to you from God. I can't, I can't give it to you. I can tell you the direction that you should go in order to have it. And of course, Christ tells you that. And so I'm just repeating what Christ says. And, uh, and you know, like somebody the other day, I heard him say that they never quote the Bible Uh, He's a very religious fellow. Uh, Actually, uh, I think it was Shapiro. Uh, He was saying he doesn't quote the Bible because if you don't accept the Bible as an authority, that doesn't prove anything about what I'm saying. You know, that you want to stick to actual proof and not uh, quoting other authority. Yet, actually, Shapiro does that all the time. He, uh, He quotes studies. And uh, those studies may seem to prove certain things; they're facts. And I understand why he's doing it. He's quoting statistics and and actual facts, and then you can come to your own conclusion. Now, your conclusion may be wrong because you're misinterpreting the facts. Statisticians are 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 some of the most are capable of the greatest deception because they can go out and collect statistics that make the way in which they collect those statistics prove things you know they can they can prove if they collect it in a certain way they can prove this is the answer and if they collected it in another way they can prove that this is the answer which are opposing answers and they both have lots of statistics and so you have to you have to think beyond what the statistician is telling you and find out well how did you collect this information and and you know, who? what questions did you ask? And how many people did you examine? And what are the real numbers? And what, are the, what should we be counting in order to figure out and come to a conclusion? All that's over in the tree of knowledge. That, uh, you know, searching for information and getting all the information and getting the right information, putting the right values on each piece of information so that you can come to a conclusion. But the Holy Spirit operates differently. The tree of life operates differently. It it is through revelation. You just know. Well, that's kind of a scary place because the mind is deceptive. And the Bible tells us that the mind and the heart are deceptive. So, you can just know something, as Mark Twain says, that just ain't so. You can absolutely be convinced and sure of something that just ain't so. Because whether or not you're going to see the truth goes way deeper than the intellect. That what's on the surface of your mind. And I mentioned this evidently for a reason. And uh, you know I haven't thought this all out to uh, this talk today all out. I'm kind of trying to go by the inclination of the Holy Spirit and tell you stuff. And I can see things already fitting together and why that's important to know. That you don't know. That God knows. You need to know God in order to know. Because you can think you know and you don't know. (laughs) Because you're eating of the tree of knowledge. And so how do you get back to the tree of life? You have to admit you don't know. That you can't figure out what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. Because the fact that you thought you could think this out and figure this out. You went to another step, and another step, and another step. And where that step leads to is that you leads you to the city of Cain. To the government of Cain. That's where it takes you. And it takes you to a place where you don't care about your brother as much as you care about yourself. And then that helps take you farther on to the city of Cain. And the city of Nimrod, and the city of Pharaoh, and the city of Caesar. In the city of despots and tyrants. Because you're not seeking the tree of life. You're not willing to go to the tree of life. And what happens if you go to the tree of life? There's angels there with fiery swords shining in every direction. Not to keep you away, but to bring light to your character and who you are. You have to be willing to see the truth about yourself to see the truth about anything else because all the facts and information that you can gather in this life will not give you the truth as Christ says you know and as Pontius Pilate says what is the truth you know everybody seeks the truth but if you seek it in the tree of knowledge you have to have all the knowledge and you have to know what the what the value of all the knowledge is and and uh, you know where it fits into things and you, you just aren't capable of that, but God is. So really what you want to know is God. And you can't find God by your intellectual pursuit. You, your brain is not big enough or smart enough to figure out who God is and what God is and, and exactly what God is thinking with your brain. You have to submit to the fact that you don't know. You can't decide what is good and evil. And the fact is that you don't know. It's not God's fault. It's not your wife's fault. It's not your husband's fault. It's your fault. You just weren't built to know everything. You're not God. Revelation. You're not God. So, what you have to do is draw near God. How do you draw near God? Is you sacrifice yourself. Mostly, you sacrifice your personal ego. You know, which is, you know, well, that's where fear comes from. You have a personal ego and you're afraid that it's going to be attacked. That somebody's going to put you down. Somebody's going to make you look stupid. Somebody's going to do something that will make you feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable so you're always looking nowadays we we hear the phrase uh, safe zones <laughs> People, you know and not being triggered in microaggressions and everybody is absolutely afraid of being upset because somebody said something i mean it's it's insane but you know it's telling you where society is going it's like a freight train headed towards uh, despotic rulers, and destruction, like you've never, like I've never seen in my lifetime, over half a century, I've been watching this, well over half a century, and I've never seen this, and of course I've been a student of history, I haven't seen it quite like this ever in history, but what it is is we we have this fear and anger. Fear and anger are the same thing. It's just the flip side of the same coin. You know, fight or flight. And this, the whole nation, the whole world is moving in that direction. This paranoia is going to lead to. You know, I was just talking to somebody about the Holocaust, and of course, there's some people say, "Oh, that." Six million Jews didn't die. Well, I don't know what the number is. A lot of a lot of Jews died. But I can tell you this. I mean, the the figures are over 20 million people were put to death. That was just the largest single minority. It, the Holocaust wasn't all about Jews. It was about millions and millions of people. And, and a greater Holocaust went on in the Soviet Union. Uh, but it wasn't specifically just Jews there either. Although, I'm sure there were Jews that were killed in the Holocaust in the Soviet Union. But then, let's go over to China. Uh, China, and they even killed more. This is amazing. Well, the capacity for man to annihilate his himself and his brothers is amazing. And it all has to do with this fear and anger. And that's what I see growing up in the world today. Because people are not moving according to the Holy Spirit. Some of them have a religion, Uh, what they think of as religion. They have a philosophy about the Divine Being. You know, ideas. Ideas are often ideologies and ideologies are often idols. So what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? So anyway, we'll talk about a number of different things and and look at a number of different quotes about Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. And uh, we'll look at and we'll try to get a picture, a bigger picture, because the message has been the same from the beginning. We're trying to get back to the tree of life, which we call the Holy Spirit, which will, through revelation, guide us daily, as to what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And it can get so specific that it can actually tell you to, you know, take three steps forward, take a step to the right, take a step to the left. And, I mean, it can tell you everything. Tell you who to marry, everything. It can guide you like an inner compass. And it's there for everybody. But everybody's not listening to it. Everybody's not following it. But a lot of people imagine that they're following it. And they're actually following a spirit that's not so holy. That is, that is an evil spirit. That is, uh, that it wants to control it and manipulate it. I mean, in the garden, that's what they're telling you is that this, this snake came in and deceived Eve. And then Eve went to Adam, who was not deceived. He knew, is this not the fruit? He knew, but he did anyway because he was influenced. But most people don't realize the real sin was that Adam did not take responsibility for what he did and blamed what he did, what he chose to do on God and the woman he gave man. He did not accept responsibility. And so this is what cast him out because they already began to hide from what they were done. This is what, you know, they realized they were naked without authority and they started hiding from what they did. And this hiding, they couldn't go near the tree of life because the tree of life would show them what they did. So they were hiding from it. We're doing that every day. We're hiding from the truth. Mostly what we hide from the truth in is what we think we already know. It's what we already know that just ain't so (laughs) that gets us into trouble. And so we have to stop hiding from the truth about ourselves and look at ourselves as we really are and go deep into our souls and examine our soul and our mind and see what's in there. But we need to take a light with us. A light with, you know, I saw an advertisement for some show. I don't even know what the show it was. uh, And uh, the the deal is, is in the show, it's one of these terror, scary things. The person turns on a light and there's nothing in the room. The hallway and the doorway across the way, there's nothing there. But when they turn off the light and there's a little light coming from the back, they see this silhouette of somebody standing in the door. And so they turn the light back on, but the person's not there. They don't see the person. And they turn it off, and then the person is there, and they turn it on again, and the person's gone. Turn it on, and then, of course, then when they turn it on one time, the person has gotten really close to <laughs> It's one of those scary movies, you know, that's going to scare the pants off of somebody. But that's that's a little bit what we're dealing with here that, You have to turn on the right light to reveal what's in the darkness of your own heart. Because people learn all kinds of stuff, all kinds of information. But it will not show them what they need to see, which is the dark evil spirit that has gotten into their own heart and has begun to influence them and helps them make decisions in a bad way. and Go down the bad path. You know, I, I recently heard about some men getting together to help build a widow's house. And she needed a house; so she was in a in a dilapidated trailer or something. And uh, they've been talking about it for some time. And I've talked to a number of these men. Some of these men, and uh, the fact is, is I, that I can see that there is a there's something dark in this process. I mean, it's a real good idea. You know, I don't know if they're doing, you know, I don't know exactly how they're doing everything. They may not be making every decision correctly, but uh, but the reality is, is from the beginning of this inception, many, many years ago, there was a dark spirit present in those plans. And I saw it, and I tried to point it out. And what happened is that that person who was harboring that dark spirit has become alienated a long time ago, about seemingly nothing to do with this. But they had to become alienated so that they could operate in the dark. Because if they were operating with somebody who had the light, they would see this dark spirit that is influencing them. And, but they, they, so they have gone away, like Adam and Eve, hid. Away from the tree of life and from God who walked with them when they ate of the tree of life. Because they didn't want to see something about themselves, the truth about themselves. You cannot find the truth about the world and the people in the world and the people around you. And who's a good guy and who's a bad guy and who's manipulating you and who really loves you and who doesn't love you, baby. As Kojak used to say, who loves your baby? Does your, your father, the state, love you? You know, people are going out and thinking, oh, this leader, we'll elect this leader. He will do so many wonderful things for us. We we love this man. We We swoon at his feet. Whether it's Obama or Trump, it doesn't really make any difference. Or Hillary or... You think, many people think, this guy has the answer. But if you don't see the truth about yourself, you won't see the complete truth about them. Oh, you'll have it figured out, but you know, it's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. Because there's a dark spirit somewhere. I mean, everybody thought, we'll elect Saul. Saul is this great guy. He's defender of the weak and, and a man of justice and a man of honor and a man of courage and we will elect Saul to be our leader. But you destroyed. You destroyed Saul. You destroyed the nation because you did that. But he was a good guy until you gave him the power you should have never given away. So finding the Holy Spirit in that fire to be baptized in, that is the way back to the power you should have kept back in the garden. We'll talk more when we get back. So welcome back, uh, so a little background on, uh, on baptism, we we know mostly about baptism from John the Baptist who was the Baptist, the, the guy who was going around baptizing people and we've created a ritual around what little we know of John the Baptist where we dunk people into water or occasionally some churches sprinkle babies with water or pour a little bit of water over their forehead. and. Uh, and they call that baptism and they say we baptize you in the name of Jesus and and you know uh, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Holy Ghost etc and uh, that's called baptism today and to some people that's as far as it goes uh, it supposedly washes away all your sins and it changes you so that you're now uh, acceptable to God and if you died immediately after baptism you would go straight to heaven or or, you know, there's twists on that, uh, you know, it washes your sins away and now you're saved or, you know, all these things. But yet, John the Baptist says, I only baptize you with water. Like, that's no big deal. You know, but there's one who comes after you, me that baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, there's a lot of different ideas floating around and people get an idea and they cling to that idea like a little teddy bear and it makes them feel comfortable. They're in their comfortable zone. I mean, this whole thing where we see that, you know, your safe zones in colleges and all this stuff is uh, most of the people who go to safe zones, they don't go to church. And so they need safe zones at college because they don't have the safe zone at the church. And that's why most people go to church is for the safe zone. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel safe. It makes them feel saved. Because they're told by a preacher that we are the followers of Christ and therefore we are saved. Is that what churches are to you? Is that your safe zone? That's your saved zone, your feel-good zone that gets you your new charge about being saved already. Well, maybe, but you're just immersed immersed in churchanity. You're not necessarily immersed in God. Because christ didn't come to make things safe for you i mean he he didn't come you know he to bring peace he came to bring a sword a division to divide you away from the evil which is in you that dark spirit that is following you around it comes you know there's you know generational sin that tracks you follows you where you will have a tendency a proclivity towards some of the errors of your parents History repeating itself. Cultural uh, sins, you know, have come down from parents and parents and parents and communities that you have lived with. And it's drawing you in a particular fashion. We see this in some nations where people, you know, I mean, they, they have a little revolution. Next thing you know, everybody's going around hacking people with machetes. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, they're they're killing people. I mean, India uh, with the the Hindus and Muslims, every so often they would go at it, and there'd be these terrible riots and murderous uh, events because the spirits there, it's just looking for an opportunity to come out and take control. And that spirit is here in America today, and in, in Australia, and in, and and uh, well, certainly it's in China. Korea, and you know, you look at North Korea and South Korea, North Korea has almost no lights and no electricity. People are living very poor. And then you go down to South Korea and people are doing really great. You know, it's a very successful society. Which one has the darker spirits? Now, we see the evidence of darkness in, in the way the government grows up and has power and is threatening people with missiles and everything but do we this see the dark spirit that's growing up in South Korea and uh, the thing is is there this is that also remember that in the same places where there are dark spirits there may be light spirits around as well when you see large numbers of the population moving <laughs> people moving around and shifting It may be moving because the spirits that are closer to God are being moved to safer places. And you won't know where those safer places are by by reading the news. (laughs) You won't know, you know, because the news is often, I mean, today especially, is controlled by that dark spirit. And it's going to guide you towards darkness. Even Fox News. You know, it, it... because they they are not really seeing the light because they believe a lie and they're under a strong delusion. And so we talk about the lie that everybody believes. And one, you know, you can put it down to a couple of different things. One is one lie they believe is that they're saved already, that they've somehow they've accepted Jesus and they're a follower of Jesus while they are still workers of iniquity. But Christ says, Many are going to do this, and I'm going to tell them, Get ye from me. So, what does it mean to be a worker of iniquity? What does it mean to be under this strong delusion? What does it mean to be deceived? That word's going to come back to us. In order to find the Holy Spirit, we can't be deceived anymore, we can't be in the dark. We can't be in an artificial light either. We have to be in a light that shows us what's in the dark. (laughs) You know, shows us the evil. In order to see that evil and accept that light, we have to see the truth about ourselves. We have come to accept the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agencies of governments and still think that you are following the ways of Christ. And the way of Christ was to gather together for the purpose of being the benefactors who don't exercise authority, to serve the tents of the congregation, the homes, the houses, the widows, the orphans, the needy of your society, through faith, hope, and charity in what was called the perfect law of liberty. That is the way of Christ. If you're not doing that, you're still in the dark. Now, if you go build a widow's house, if you go give charity to a food bank, are you being the benefactors who don't exercise authority? The devil could do these things. And the devil does do these things. The world does these things. Uh, I mean, it takes care of more widows than we do. And it takes care of more or- orphans, more poor people than we do. But by what spirit are they moving? Are they moving by a spirit that bringeth the whole light of Christ? You know, really, what sets a, uh, say a person's in poverty. You know, they have to live in some dingy little trailer or or maybe they don't even have a trailer. Maybe they're on the streets. And you come and you give them a place to be. A house. A shelter. And food. And lodging, you know, etc. Clothing. Clean them up. Have you done them good? Well, you've made them comfortable. Did you really do them good? By what spirit are you moving? What spirit is bringing you to help this person? Wow, that that may be still up for a question. Is there a spirit of greed? Is there a spirit of vanity moving you? Now, see, this is interesting because you can move and do things with both good intentions and and bad intentions. They can mix in you. You can want to do good because of good reasons, because God is calling you to do good. But you also want the praise, maybe. Uh, maybe you want uh, want to get there's some because you help this person, you're going to get gain. I mean, I know a lot of people that are in the charity business. They go out and they do charitable things. And they make sure that they're filmed so that they can put it on the six o'clock news or, or get it out on their website so that people say, oh, look what good these people are doing. And they'll go out and they'll get other people to help them do this because they will get more support, maybe emotional support, maybe financial support. Now, they may have some good intention, but they also have this mix of selfish intention of wanting, you know, like the uh, Pharisee uh, saying his prayers in public so that people will look up to him and think he is holy. Or maybe he's doing it so that he can, you know, like uh, I know people in the Red Cross, there are really hardworking, dedicated people in the Red Cross, but I also know there are people that want to get out the wonderful work that we're doing because we get lots of money and they're pulling down $400,000 a year salaries. And, And the guys making the big bucks are not down in the muck and the mire helping people. They get other people to do that. And so this is this mix. People are coming with good intentions, with bad intentions, and Christ came to separate The ones with good intentions, with a godly intention, with a pure heart from those with not so pure hearts and to move them so that they are perfected in Christ and they begin to help the widows and the orphans and needy of society with the real spirit of Christ. Now, what is that going to look like? As many as I love, I also rebuke. Say you had somebody who was poor, you know, some old guy who uh, was living in a shack and barely getting by and nobody was caring about him and taking care of him and you went to, you know, you bought him a big house. I mean, we can show you, no, not even a big house, just a little house. I can show you situations like in Africa where the people were poor and they, they lived in dirty shacks and all this stuff and people came in with lots of money. And they built these individual little, like dome houses, and uh, put doors on them, and had running water outside. It was still rather primitive, but it was clean. Everything was new. Everything was comfortable. It would protect you from the hot sun and protect you from the cold nights. And there was sanitation. There was ways to clean up. So it was, it was a wonderful thing to the people who lived there. It was just given to them. They came back a year later and doors were pulled off their hinges and wood was chopped up for fires and and uh, windows were broken and filth and dirt in the streets and it was just horrible. I mean they just destroyed the, all the buildings that were put up. I mean some people tried to keep things nice but their neighbors just let things go to trash it was a tremendous lesson that the, they did not change the inside of the people. So they recreated the slum with this wonderful ex, uh, built community. Or, you know, the the houses were all built by somebody else. And so they try to incorporate that everybody has to put sweat equity into these things. And, you know, and there's a lot of ideas floating around. But really what it comes down to is And I'm not against that because to put sweat equity into work to build the house that you're going to live in for free changes the way in which you approach that house because you've got some of yourself in there. Now you may take care of it better. And that helps purge, that working in that direction helps purge the spirit that has dwelled in you that brought you to living in a slum to begin with. And also, the people who don't want to work at all or don't really care at all, they're not going to get participate in such a program. So they're filtered out. And the ones that come are, are actually changed by the fact that they have to put energy into the effort. And in that principle, what we're seeing there is the key to seeking the kingdom of God in that baptism of fire and that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ was a doer. He came to serve. That's why he says, you can't just be someone who talks about it. You've got to be a doer. Doer of what? You have to become the benefactors who don't exercise authority one over the other, but actually love their neighbor in a way that takes care of them so that they don't have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority, to the fathers of the earth. You have to walk that walk and go that way. You have to turn around and go that way. But when you turn around, you're going to be dragging with you some of those spirits. The spirits you don't want to see, you don't want to look at. And if you don't separate from them, become holy from them. That's what holy means, is separate from them. You're going to drag that and taint everything you do. The old guy who you put up in the house—have you done anything to help him set down those chains that he is dragging with him, that are bringing with them the spirits of evil? The spirit—I mean, how did he get into the situation? Because he was selfish. When I'm I'm helping the elderly. I'm helping them come back into contact with their children in an honest way, with their ex-wife in an honest way. Why? Because by coming back into contact with those people, they come into contact with what they need to see about themselves. I try to bring the light. And you know, when you bring that light that's going to shine on their heart, and their soul and their mind. You're not just cleaning the outside. We got to clean the inside. Baptisma, baptismo. And the uh, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire is not cleaning the outside of your skin. It's not washing your the, what you put on the outside, the garments. It's washing the inside. If by taking care of the widows and orphans, you're not dealing with the internal mechanisms, the spirit of that widow or orphan or old man, you are not doing them a service. You're just creating a safe space. You're you're comforting the evil that dwelleth in them. You know, I've seen a lot of old people, and and the thing is, I can see... uh, I can see the treacherous spirit in people. I can see, you know, when you turn off the light and you see that shadow, when you're looking at them with the light of the Holy Spirit, which is only going to be in you if you're willing to look at the same evil that's in your own heart. You see that evil. You see that spirit dwelling in them. I mean, there's some deceptive people out there. You know, I, w- I was just... Adding to a page, that we have, uh, aboda. Aboda is a Hebrew word that's translated a lot of different ways. Serve, servitude, tillage, um, servile, work, bondage, service. It appears almost a hundred times as service in the Old Testament. Aboda. And it comes from other words and everything, but, uh, you know if you if you look at these different words even the word kadesh you know we talk about the breaches that the people are supposed to sew for the levites and that's a covering and some of these words that actually like the word garment we talk about uh in the Holy Spirit, one of the first quotes, I think, uh, let's see, it's Exodus 35, 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. His spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offerings to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now that work is to take care of the needy of your society. To take care of each individual tabernacle, which is tent of the congregation. And it says, for all his service. So what they were giving was for all his service. And for the holy garment, or garments. Now, the word garments there is a fascinating word. It's translated two different ways in the Bible. I' was actually given two different strong's numbers in the bible and uh you know that that garment is um you know uh, it's it's a particular word that is also translated treacherous deceitful now why would a word why does this word which is um uh, if i can remember be it Gemma, deleth. The, the, uh, Hebrew letters. That's what it is. And it's translated garments and treacherous. And they talk about holy garments, which you could say holy treacherous or holy deceit. Because it's the same exact word in both places. So you gotta know which one to, which one are they talking about here. Well, it's not really that difficult once you understand what treachery is. Treachery is deceitful. Deceitful. What is that? Not seeing. Somebody's not showing you what they're really thinking. You go look every place that this word, this treacherous word, shows up in the Bible, and it's always somebody dealt treacherously. They had an agreement with somebody, but they were really thinking something else. They were planning something else. They were dealing with that individual treacherously, secretly. Garments, what does a garment do? It covers you so we cannot see what's underneath the garment. So these holy garments are not really treacherous, but they are they are operating, you know, they are covering. And we talk about that with the breeches, although they use a different word for breeches, but it's a, it's a similar situation where you're covering something this holy covering, these holy breaches. You're covering something. But there's unholy breaches, unholy treachery when people are covering. So again, somebody's going to do something for the poor. What's motivating them? What spirit is drawing them to do this? Is it a spirit of greed? Is it a spirit of vanity? Is it a spirit of pride? Because if it is the blessings you put upon that person will bring with them a curse. If you baptize somebody and make them think they're saved, you've cursed them to a strong delusion. If you have not dealt with the evil spirit still dwelling in them, the evil intent still dwelling in them. And so that's why I say, you know, like if somebody won't talk to their children, or the children won't talk to their parents. It doesn't do any good just to feed them. You may have to feed them, but you are not bandaging up the wounds. You're not healing them. You're not saving them. You're just making them comfortable in a safe space. So, you know, why do people get to this particular place? So, in order, the point here before we run out of time, and we'll we'll continue this in the next program in, along another little track. You know, find out what pneuma, the Greek word for spirit, really means. But if you're not dealing with the spiritual essence of the person, with the dark unforgiveness of their hearts, They keeps drawing them. You know they'll they'll gather friends around them. They'll gather stuff around them, and they'll wreck it. It will spoil. Like hoarders, they hoard all this stuff. Uh, You know, I had a nephew, I guess, or distant cousin, and he was playing with my son, and my son couldn't even crawl yet. He was just on the ground, and he didn't want my son to have any of his toys, so he covered them all. He couldn't play with them while he covered them all but he would not let my son have even one. This is what we do. We we have to deal with the heart issues, the spiritual issues, not just the outside issues. So now we're going to get into real baptism when we come back. Be there. so welcome back uh, so what was Jesus saying in matthew twenty twenty two and what was he saying in Matthew twenty in the whole chapter uh, Jesus was trying to explain how the government he is going that he was going to take away from the Pharisees and appoint it to his little flock, the disciples works he was how does that government work how do how do we even operate? in such a government and who is able to operate in such a government and this of course is what the apostles are you know talking about uh, when they say that the, you know they were actually vying for a position you know they wanted to sit on the left hand or the right hand and everything and there was jealousy amongst them about this and uh, and he says you don't even know what you're asking are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that, baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, we are able. We, we've we recently, uh, in the last, you know, to me recently, it could be 20 years ago. Um, that's the way it gets when you get older. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, we had the campaign slogan, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Everybody says yes, we can. You know, and I, I'm reminded of the old Bill Cosby skit where he's talking about the guy who learned karate and he could break a brick, and he could break a stick, and he could break a board with his hand. And he says, "You have to think through the board. Think through the board." Yes, I can. And he, and he went to hit these bricks, and unfortunately, the brick was thinking, "No, you can't." And he shattered his arm up to his elbow, you know. And uh so, yes, a can doesn't make it happen. It, it's an operation of vanity. All things are possible with God. You can't do it. And the apostles at that time, they didn't know what they were saying. And no, they couldn't. The answer was really, no, you can't. But with God, they could. But they didn't have God yet. They didn't have the revelation of the Holy Spirit as they were going to need it. They didn't have it yet. They were going to need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire. Now, they were in that process, but they had not yet received it. You go sprinkle water, you go dunk a guy under water, and all you've done is get him all wet. You can say magic words, I do this in the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, doesn't make it so. They don't know what they're talking about. They're actually creating a safe place in your mind to continue in the ways of iniquity. There is no way that you can seek the kingdom of God without seeking the truth about your own selves. And there's no way you can help a widow or an orphan or an old man out without helping them deal with who they are and who they have become and what they have done to get there. The interaction of helping out the needy must include the loving rebuke of the Holy Spirit and if you have not allowed your own spirit to be rebuked, your own anger, how can a man full of anger love his neighbor without that anger tainting that love, tainting his perception of the truth? He cannot do it. He can sound like he has no anger in him. He can sound like a man of peace. But, you know, when you turn that light on, turn that light off, if that light is the light of God shining, you will see that anger. You'll see it. It'll just be there. And he will know you see it. The Spirit that dwelleth in him knows you see it. And he will convince that man, that spirit that influences him, that spirit of anger that dwells in that dark place of his own heart, will influence him and draw him away from the light. He will hide him in the bushes of the world. And will draw. he will fear contact. He will avoid contact or the presence of that light. He will try to get away from it. Because, because' it it's it will make him feel uncomfortable, but if you do not suffer the uncomfortableness of seeing the what has gotten in you the influence that and see so you can get rid of that anger not with your own power but the power of God because you cannot even forgive your neighbor without the power of God, you cannot forgive those who are around about you your your ex wife your ex husband you know, your fourth grade school teacher, whatever it is that you're still harboring animosity to. You cannot forgive them without the grace of God. But that's because you've judged them. You've played God with them. Now, how do you get the forgiveness of God? Forgive others. You can't forgive others without God. It's a left foot, right foot thing. You have to... It's a process. But if you're hiding from those people who have walked that walk, you're hiding from the light. If you're avoiding the people that tell you the truth about yourself, then you're avoiding God. Because... That's what God wants to do is show you the truth about yourself because then you can be healed. You know, I mean how many times did you hurt yourself? You know, I've done this, smashed my finger or pinched something or or maybe even cut something and, and you're afraid to look. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Oh I gotta you kinda peek at it. Oh, how bad is it? Yeah, that's you. That's your heart. You have to look at it. You have to see it. So, God gives us a world in which to operate in and to function in. And he gives us good people and he gives us bad people and he gives us people in need and people who, you know, have all kinds of needs. Some people need, I mean, you know, the poorest amongst us is often the richest. (laughs) They're the poorest in the ways of righteousness. Not always. I'm not picking on rich people. But it's harder for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of the needle. It's a hard thing. And so, rich people should give away their wealth. But they should do it in a manner which actually leads them to the revelation of their own selves and their own nature. Just to give it away could be foolish. I could go down to the Bowery and... And give a $100 to every wino that's there. $200 to every wino that's there. alcoholic. And I will kill some of them in that process. Because they'll go out and they'll buy so much whiskey, they'll kill themselves. So the way in which you give it, the spirit in which you give it, is important. It's not form. But the spirit that is moving you. So when you baptize somebody with water, and when you are baptized by somebody with water, what is the spirit that's moving you? Well, the reality is, some of these people go up and do the altar calls and say, you know, they're accepting Jesus into their heart as a personal Savior. A good change may actually take place. Because in their heart, they may actually be making a choice that I have to be less vain, less prideful, I I have to recognize that God is in power. But somebody else will go up and do the exact same thing, but the same thing is not going on in their spirit and in their mind. They They may get an emotional charge. They may feel like they're saved and everything, but they are no more saved than if you had baptized a rock. There was no spiritual connection. Again, John the Baptist, I only baptize you with water. There is one who comes after me that baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to tell you the truth as it is. In Matthew 3.11, we see, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. I want you to change your ways. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What did that mean? We see the same thing in John uh, in Luke three sixteen. We actually uh, where John answered, saying unto them, All I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier come after me, and it says the latchet, of the whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, so it's a similar thing, but not exactly the same. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And, and we see in Mark a similar thing, but much shorter. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So what is this all about? In John one thirty three, we see. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So, there, there, this is important that it descendeth upon him and remaineth. See, a lot of people get an emotional reaction when they do some of these things. You know, they get up, you know, they're an adult and they go in and they get baptized in a church or maybe in a big waiting pool or whatever. It changes the way in which they uh, are operating and doing things. And uh, it, it may give them uh, feelings, emotional feelings of doing, you know, making these big changes, you know, the, making this commitment. But, you know, evil can give you a feeling the same as God. How do you know one from the other? So, of course, we have things like the Ten Commandments. These are our guideposts that know, well, you know, if you're killing people, you're probably off the track. If you're uh, stealing from people, you're probably off the track. And you really haven't accepted Jesus. If you're doing these things, people say, well, yeah, you can sin and you're still saved. No, that is a lie. If if you're sinning, you know, murdering and stealing and cheating people, you're not still saved. You never were saved. It was an illusion. It was a delusion. It was fake salvation. And you're still just as vulnerable as you ever were to destruction. And that's why you have a guy gave you these guideposts if you love me you will keep my commandments if you're not keeping his commandments you don't really love him you love the idea of him but you don't really love him if you're losing your temper if you're uh you know still you know and, and again we're on this process you're off the road and you need to get back on the road But you can't get back on the road, you can't even stay on the road, until you see the truth about yourself. It's like a a guy was killed over here, I knew him for years, since he was a teenager. And uh, the, the tie bar on his car, dislodged, broke, whatever. And he steered, he turned the wheel so that it would go straight on the road. But the wheel was going to take him off. He had no control over it because w- there was a disconnect between the wheel on the ground and the wheel in his hand. And that's what we need to do is reconnect to the Holy Spirit, to the tree of life so that we can steer down the road. Otherwise, we've lost control already. No matter what you do, it won't make any difference. And turn that wheel and turn that wheel and turn that wheel. You're still going in the ditch. So you got to get serious. You know, you don't go to church to feel good. You go to church to find out what's wrong in your heart and in your mind. You go to church to do some real soul searching. To look into the bottom of your heart. Because you're self-deceived. You're deceived deceived by the world, but you're also self-deceived. We all are. Don't kid yourself, even though you are kidding yourself. If you think at all that you are not self-deceived, that you cannot be fooled by yourself or anybody else. I mean, it tells you in the Bible that the mind is treacherous, that the heart is treacherous. So yeah, you're self-deceived to some degree or another. And the more you look into your heart, the more you see the truth about yourself. And so, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, something's wrong with that. Now, I'm not saying you're an old man, don't take Social Security, because that is a covetous system where men who exercise authority one over the other are taking from your neighbor to provide you with welfare. They're not only taking from your neighbor, they're taking from your neighbor's children and grandchildren because they're borrowing money against the future. All that is absolutely iniquity. And the people who are uh, creating those systems are workers of iniquity. Those people who are promoting those systems are workers of iniquity. Those people who are not working to create the alternative system, which operates by faith, hope, and charity, are workers of iniquity. And they are not going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a fire. Now, that baptism of fire, there were tongues of fire over the heads of all the apostles in the 120 in the upper room. And I assume all. It would be very interesting. Is there a tongue of fire over him and over him and over him? Were they all the same brightness? Were they all the same? Or was there a guy over here in the corner and there was no tongue of fire over him? Everybody says, what's what's with Steve there? He didn't have a tongue of fire over him. (laughs) Well, they don't go into any of that. But it says they were all in one accord. So I have to believe that they all had this tongue of fire over them. Was that the baptism of fire? But, you know, we have, uh, you know, a phrase, an idiom of trial by fire. Was the fire when they had to go out and deal with people, deal with temptations, and and actually do the work? That's trial by fire, too. So you have both, though. So which one is it? Well, maybe it's a little both because remember back there when it was talking about the holy spirit descending upon him and remaining on him so they they were in this upper room you saw that fire when they went outside and they walked around in the daylight did you see that fire I and mean, when we see all these pictures with a light around the apostles painted lights around the apostles we they talk about Moses's face having to be covered with a cloth because this light shone out from him, so was that the same fire the this light we we see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove well wasn't those tongue of fires you know flickering like a candle flicker, flicker, flicker you know that's the way you know candles are especially if there's any kind of air movement. They didn't have glass on the windows probably, so there may have been air movement. Well, it was a dove. I have doves outside that flutter down and uh, their the wings flapping in the white dove's wings flapping. It's almost the same type of movement that you see in the flame as they, they, they flap their wings. So, it says that it appears as a dove, like a dove would appear coming down upon him this light. And it remaineth. So, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit descendeth upon you and the baptism of fire. You can't make that happen. But we can talk about how you can get closer to making that happen, which is walking in the ways of Christ. Why do we strive? Why does Jesus tell us to strive in walking in these ways of Coming together not to feel good in our safe space, but to come together to see the truth about ourselves. To stop hiding in the bushes of modern religion and start facing the truth about our own anger, our own selfishness, our own bitterness, our own unforgiveness, our own greed. If you're not helping people see that, you're not helping people. I don't care if you buy them a mansion and a new car and a million dollars. You're not helping them. Because you're, you're not helping them see the truth about themselves and until they see the truth about themselves, they cannot see the truth about God. They cannot sit at the feet of God, at the, at the tree of tree of life until they see the truth about themselves. And there's lots of ways to do that. And that's why we'd like to kind of create a retreat ground out here so that people come out here and deal with that. I don't really want that job. <laughs> I, I could be glad to let that cup pass before me but if God wants that me to drink of that cup I will do it. It is, you know, I've had people here. I have people here now. It's a strain. Because of the fact that there's still things I have to deal with. Patience I have to learn. Things I have to see about myself. But that's, that's God's gift. God's gift is, it's a burden. It may be light, but it's a burden. And we need to put our hand to the plow and keep it to the plow and stop hiding in the bushes of modern religion or our our view of modern religion. Somebody wrote, and I'm not picking on him in this way, but let's take a look in answering the fellow who asked about what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. It's immersing ourselves in the Spirit of Christ. You can't just do that. There's not a pool somewhere that you just... Oh, oh, over here is the Spirit of Christ pool. And you get into that and you waddle down into it. No. This is a spiritual event. It's not a physical event. Everything in the universe that you can see with your eyes, touch with your hands, smell with your nose. Everything in the universe... As a spiritual existence prior to its existence in the universe. Simultaneously as a spiritual existence. God breathed Numa the universe, into existence. In other words, it's the spirit that gives shape to reality. So we, we deal with water baptism as a symbol of that spiritual baptism. Water baptism is nothing. Spiritual baptism is everything. But you want that spirit to be the Holy Spirit, the separate spirit, the complete spirit of God the Father. Not the phony spirits of Satan. Because many of the baptisms in churches today are the baptisms of Satan, of the adversary, that lull you into a false sense of salvation, security, that is really not true. And Jesus warns you. Peter warns you. Paul warns you. They all warn you. But you're sure that's not you. You're saved, right? Maybe. What are you doing? Are you Are you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Or are you trying to figure out how you get your social security benefits? Or your welfare benefits? Or maybe you've got a little religious group that's going to build you a house or give you money or give you food at the food bank and maybe you're you're actually drawing that as your salvation your comfort zone your safe zone your salvation zone and when you once you've got it then you don't need them anymore is that what you're doing have you ever done that before in little things well i don't know ask yourself I mean we do this every day. People use people every day. I know somebody who who got married cuz they wanted a child. And then they wanted a divorce almost immediately <laughs> once they had the child coming. And uh of course they get a check with the child from the government. Amazing. Yeah, I mean that we know that happens all the time. But anyway, uh Somebody wrote, I'm, I'm going to take a stab at this, this thing. What is the Holy Spirit? And, and that's good. That's courage. He's going to take a shot at it. And he's willing to admit that he might be wrong. And that's a good place to always start. That you might be wrong. God is right. You're just trying to figure out what God really wants. He says, we must first understand uh, just that the baptism signified a complete severance of all ties and allegiance to a former kingdom. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus became filled with the presence of the Father with no room for anything to do with the kingdoms of the world. Well, yeah, but remember, it's a process. Uh, It's not necessarily a moment in time. It's a process. This is what repentance is, turning around. Turning around takes some time. And then it's seeking. It's, you know, Seeking the kingdom of God, that's a process. And seeking the righteousness of God, so that's a process. So you'll be taking care of the widows and orphans in a righteous way. And the needy of your society in a righteous way. And rebuking those who need rebuke out of love in a righteous way. And that's all a process, learning what that's like. I mean, the apostles were doing great but there was still this bickering and jealousy and still didn't understand what this was this holy spirit so i'm not by the end of the show you're not going to understand exactly what the baptism of the holy spirit and fire is because you don't get to that understanding intellectually you get to that understanding by doing by taking that chance of stepping out of the boat and whether you sink or swim, you're going to you're going to make a move in that direction. so anyway, we're going to try to tie a lot of this together. We'll have another sum- up program later on this afternoon, but we're going to try to tie all this together as so that you understand exactly how this Holy Spirit can take effect. this baptism of the Holy Spirit can begin to take effect in that process when we come back. welcome back to keys of the kingdom let's uh, finish this little part here that uh, where i was reading this other letter and then we'll go up and take a look at acts 11:16 so he's talking about the jesus had no allegiance with any other former kingdom anyway so the baptism of the holy spirit really isn't about allegiance to a physical kingdom it's about eating of the tree of life It's about accepting the Holy Spirit. And accepting the Holy Spirit means you had to see yourself as you really are. And sometimes that requires you do a little fasting and prayer. Jesus talks about that, casting out demons. And see, everybody who comes here, they got a demon. Uh, You know, I mean, some sort of dark influence in their life. From past experiences that they're not willing to look at. And in that darkness dwells evil. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's an actual evil spirit living in them and they're possessed and their heads are going to spin around or any of that stuff that you see in the movie Exorcist. But it means that there is part of their being. We're created whole in the image of God. But part of your being you don't want to take a look at. And you store the knowledge, the spiritual knowledge, not necessarily mental knowledge, of things you don't want to see in those parts of your body here and there in your spiritual body, and therefore sometimes it will come out in your physical body. But you store those things you don't want to see in, in this spiritual body, and you cover them up. You, you put your own garments of intellectual covering over those things. And evil can now Enter into that darkness because there's no light. You don't let any light in. You don't want to see it. Any can, evil can influence you. This goes on all the time. Everybody does this to one degree or another. If you think you're not doing it, you walk across the lake without a boat. And let me see you walk across the lake. Then, When you can do that, then maybe I'll believe you. Otherwise, everybody does this. Everybody is hiding from some truth about themselves. If you hide from the truth about yourself, you cannot see the truth about the world. You cannot see the truth about your relationships with the world and the people around you. You can think, I love this person. But you're not all there. There's part of your soul that's still dark. You don't want to see. When you see the fact that you haven't forgiven somebody, you have to pray for the power to forgive, the grace to forgive. You have to admit you don't have the power of yourself, that only God can give you the power to forgive that person, that individual, that event. If fear is in you, there's something you haven't forgiven. If anger is in you, there's something you haven't forgiven. If there's impatience in you, there's something you haven't forgiven. Because the Holy Spirit cannot dwell where there is impatience, where there is anger, where there is fear. I can say fear not, but you will not be able to fear not without the influx of the Holy Spirit, which comes in a fluttering sort of way. <laughs> I know exactly what that means. Somebody could write some catechism on, but uh, you know, don't put too much into this realize that you just have to search your own soul. Are you impatient with your wife? Are you impatient with your children? Are you impatient with your neighbor? Are you impatient with your enemy? Are you impatient with God? Because if you're impatient with any of those, you're impatient with God. You're blaming things on God. You don't think you are, but that's that's what you're doing. Because it, And it keeps you from God. Evil wants you to be comfortable with that, and so it creates modern religion to make you comfortable with your iniquity, with your judgment, with your vanity. You don't want to be judged? Stop judging others. You want to be set free? Set others free. You want God to provide salvation for you? Start providing salvation for others in a righteous way. So, yeah... John uh, John the Baptist was baptizing people out there in the desert. Herod had been baptizing people for many years in Jerusalem. And to the high priests who were corrupted by men like Ananias, who had put all of his sons into positions as high priests. Wealthy, rich man. And finally, he put his son-in-law in the position, Caiaphas. And I think Caiaphas actually converted and became a Christian eventually. The man who condemned Christ became a Christian. Can you believe that? I I think that would be absolutely reasonable to believe that, knowing the way God works. And knowing and then I have ex, explained that, but we won't go into that why I say that. But uh so God can forgive you if he can forgive Caiaphas, but you must repent. You must seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You must sacrifice for others. And is that sacrifice pure? Probably not. You have to build up to a sacrifice that's pure. So, anyway, this kingdom of God is what John the Baptist said, it's at hand, you have to seek it, you have to strive for it, you have to follow the ways of God. And so, this idea of doing that, when you were getting the baptism of John the Baptist, you were not being set free. Because the Pharisees had not yet said anyone who receives the baptism of Jesus Christ and the apostles are cast out. They were still bound in that system. Because once in that system, it's irrevocable. You can't just get out because I want to revoke a contract. You are in it. But what John the Baptist was saying, I'm baptizing you with water. Now you start taking care of one another through charity. And you can do that with a church. And everything you give to the church is deductible from your taxes. So, I mean, God allows that. I mean, eventually that may go away. But He allows that so you have more resources to put back in to the taking care of the needy of your society in a righteous fashion. In other words, you're not just going to give to the widows and orphans. You're going to give to the widows and orphans so that they become stronger people. They cannot become stronger people if they will not deal with their own unforgiveness. Maybe they weren't widows indeed. Maybe they were just divorced. How were they divorced? Did they forgive their spouse? You know, I mean, children have to forgive their parents even for dying. But many people are made orphans because they're abandoned. And so forgiveness is, is a powerful... This forgiveness is the main ingredient of the water of the Holy Spirit. If you want to immerse yourself in the Spirit of God, you have to immerse yourself in forgiveness. You cannot be forgiven lest you forgive others. If you're not forgiving others completely, you're not fully immersed. You're not, you're not, you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will not get it until you start forgiving others. So, this is important. This is important in that process of being baptized by the Holy Spirit is forgiveness. But also giving, giving to the point where you are going to do without. You may be in jeopardy of not being able to meet your responsibilities because you gave so much. Or, or feed yourself, maybe even. So, the the kingdom of heaven was this other way. And yet, John the Baptist was saying, seek that other way. When you got the baptism at Pentecost, you were cast out. And now your allegiance was somewhere else. And it was to God. Not to the church, but to God. Because the church you had, it was, had no power or authority over it. It couldn't make you contribute. You had to choose to contribute. Drinking that cup of sacrifice. You had to empty out your cup to lay down your life to pick up your life more abundant. I mean these are these are the allegories and metaphors you constantly are seeing this is the process by which you will receive the baptism of the holy spirit i will not give it to you I, It is is not within my power i can talk to you about your problems i can show you your problems and god has sent me people one after another to help show me my problems <laughs> i guess i Problems too. I have unforgiveness in me still. But the more I'm willing to deal with that, the more I am immersed in the Holy Spirit. You know, when he talks about drink of the cup, which is really to see yourself. That's really what it's talked about uh they talk about the this fellow talks about the traditional wedding ceremonies and the the thing is when you're dealing with metaphors a lot of times there are different levels of understanding so i'm not saying that he's necessarily wrong i'm just trying to add to what he was saying just like the traditional wedding ceremony he writes a groom and a bride will share a drink from one cup to signify that even in the simplest of life uh, sustaining things they are one. The wedding vows are for better or for worse in sickness or in health until death do us part. This is the level of the commitment of God's desire for us to have. Bottom line, baptism by water is the washing away of an allegiance. Now, previously made and baptism of the Spirit is filling of that place with the presence of God. Well, yes, but you're kind of bouncing off of the metaphor a little bit. The baptism with the water of John the Baptist was a personal commitment that we we're going to try to clean up our act and go this other way. To seek. This why we have the word seek there. It didn't say jump into the kingdom and then all of a sudden your allegiance is... Da, 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 da. Not so. It's you, you change your ways. You repent Changing your way, changing the way of thinking, realize that I have to take care of myself, my family, and my neighbor's family as if it was my own family. That's a changing of the mind. It's not a changing of allegiance. But it's the beginning of changing of allegiance to a spirit of power and control and wantonness. You see, the devil wants control of the garden. So he has to get man to sin against God, to separate man from God so he can take control. He has been hampered in that process by God, by the grace of God. But he is unleashed at this time and is growing in power amongst the people of the world. The only power you have against all these crazy people you see out there, And uh, the spirits that dwell in your wife, dwell in your husband, dwell in your children, want to get access in there and control them and manipulate them. The only power you have is to see the truth about yourself. And that is baptizing yourself in that truth. Immersing yourself in that truth. Letting that light in. To see your impatience your judgment your vanity and then you can go back and help your family and your friends and your neighbors and even your enemy and but because then as you lay down your own ego your own selfishness your own pride your own judgment your own unforgiveness because Unforgiveness is judgment. That is a sur- usurpation of God. You want to judge somebody, and you don't leave judgment to God. So you're angry at them, as if your wrath counts. Your wrath is usurpation of God, because you don't really believe God can take care of this. You can you love your enemy? I mean, that is that is a difficult thing. Most people can't even love their spouse. Can you love your enemy, care about them, want them to see? And and the fact is, is that I told you this last week, that's how you cast out demons. You cast out demons with love. You don't cast out demons with hate. But it's the love of Christ. It's not the desire for this piece of property or this money or this car or this woman or... Is it love is a desire to lay down your life that others may live. This is what God did. God gave you his life that you may have life. He gave you the right to choose. He gave up his right to control you like a puppet. Which he could have done. He gave you choice so that you may choose wisely. Unfortunately, a lot of people are not choosing wisely. They're choosing very unwisely. So I said we go look at Acts eleven sixteen, and if we we pull that up, if if you're in Acts uh, eleven, it talks about the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and when Peter was come to Jerusalem they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest to the men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Which is a no-no. And, and Peter pondered the thing. You know, like, you know, and this, this is, I mean, the more you understand the character of Peter, I know people like Peter. Uh You know, I mean, he, he, of course, we know little about a lot of the apostles, but there was a guy who was willing to make some rough changes by rough self-examination. But he says in verse eight, "But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing come common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth." Why? Because he was having this voice and these visions of of that that this whole thing about. Uh, The food laws are metaphors. I mean, it doesn't mean that there isn't some wisdom in the food laws. There certainly is. But if you think you're going to get into a spiritual kingdom of heaven by physically altering your actions and fitting some sort of mental pattern that you have created out of your mind, this physical pattern that you've created out of your mental uh, observations, that's not the way it works you have to get down really into the very spirit of your being and find out how what's why are my relations wrecked why are my relations falling apart why are my why am i at odds and ends with the person that i married and thought i loved why am i going why you know the woman at the well had had five husbands but had none why is that because There are things about ourselves we're not willing to see. And because of that, there are things in those other people that we're not willing to see or are unable to see. And because we do not see them, we cannot help them. So anyway, God is giving Peter this vision. And uh, he says, uh, But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God hath cleansed, That call not thou common. And this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come in unto the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them. Nothing doubting. See, this is, he's telling you how the compass, the spiritual compass works. It, it points, go this way, go with them, go here, go there. No doubt. Absolutely comfortable with this going. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. What was the beginning? Pentecost. Baptism of the fire, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then remembered I the words of the Lord, how that He said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that was I, That I could withstand God. Then we heard these things. And they held their peace. peace, And glorified God. Saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles. Granted repentance unto life. Unto the tree of life. Unto the Holy Spirit. Unto the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire you cannot conjure this up god will conjure it up for you because god is the holy spirit lists this where he wills you have to seek the kingdom of god you have to gather together do not fear rejection if if fear is in your choice it is not the holy spirit if anxiety is in your uh, your choice it is not the holy spirit if anger is in you, that is blocking the Holy Spirit. I could tell you tell you more, but really, everybody needs to sit down wherever they're at and be still. You know, stop conjuring up God in your mind. Stop imagining that God is this or God is that. Be still and know. Be still and let that compass, that compass guide you in the ways of righteousness. Are you seeking the kingdom of God, a government of God that operates by faith, hope and charity in the perfect law of liberty, not just for you, not just for your family, not just for your local congregation, but for the flock of Christ, which reaches from one end of the planet to the other. From China to Korea to Korea to Alaska, from Alaska to Canada, from Canada to Poughkeepsie. I didn't want to leave Europe out, but even over there in Europe, everywhere. Do you care about those people? Can you imagine if you were to sit still and let the Holy Spirit guide you to the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the, and and again, like I say, the the pool that you want to immerse yourself in is this pool of forgiveness. In that pool of forgiveness, there is no judgment. There, Therefore, there is no anger. There is no fear, because there is no anger. Anger and fear are the same thing. It's all about turning around. And so, I, I talked to you a little bit at the beginning about this word, Well, we can talk about the word Kadesh, consecrate, sanctify, prepare, dedicate. It's translated hollow, dedicate, holy, prepare, consecrate, appoint, purified, all these different ways. And, um, it's, uh, you know, there's actually several forms. That's, uh, that's the verb form. But there's also other forms, um, Which, uh, in the noun form, it's translated uh, sanctuary, sixty-eight times. Things, fifty-two times. Most, forty-four times. Holiness, thirty times. Dedicated, five times. Hollowed, three times. Consecrated once, and and a number of other different ways. It it actually means apartness. Now, this is in the Hebrew. The same is true in the Greek. But anyway, we have an article up on a Boda, which is, uh, and, and also uh, we've started a thing on Holy Spirit. But we'll continue this this afternoon for those of you who want to join us. Until then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. God bless.